Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. The series that we've been doing, Vision 2020, it coincides very closely with our strategy as a church to, um, to reach our city and to reach our world. Um, I'll do a little, this is some of what I'm about to say you would, you would hear if you went through the Discover course. But our mission statement as a church is this. We exist to light up our world with the love of Jesus. That's why we're here. We exist to light up our world with the love of Jesus. Um, one of the ways we do that, um, I just mentioned, we give you know, missions money to different missions that we support and we believe in. We're so excited to do that. But we want what we do. Um, when we name the church, we didn't just want a name that was like a cool name or kind of like whatever, introspective. We wanted a name that conveyed that we want to affect the world around us. We want to shine on the world around us. So we, we, we um, came up with City Lights Church. And what is that? You are the lights in the city. When you come and you get filled with God's presence, you go back out into your world and you, um, your families, your world, and you light up your world. And so that's why we named the church City Lights Church. Um, now, how do we do that? I'm going to go real quickly through our, this is what we call our strategy. How do we do that? We do that by doing three things. We encounter God, we empower people, and we intentionally shine God's love, okay? It all starts with encounter. What does that look like? Let me just break each of these down a little bit more. Under encounter, we believe in God and we behold his majesty. If you're going to encounter God, the, the very first thing you need to do is place your faith and trust in Jesus. The moment a person becomes born again is when God comes in and takes up residence in their heart, washes away their sins, and that is an encounter with the Lord. However, what we just did here in worship, and what I hope you're doing throughout your week, is you're encountering God's presence continually. And so we believe in God, we behold His majesty, and how many know that when God shines His light on you, when we engage in worship with Him, He changes us. He changes your heart. He does amazing things in you. And that is a high value for us as a church. Okay, so that's Encounter God. What about empowering people? Empowering people is we belong in God's family. Okay, we all, each of us has a place of belonging in God's um, family. This is why we stress so much here at City Lights Church that we want people involved in community. Um, Emily mentioned this. Um, well, and I'll just say this. After the service, I highly encourage you, go, sh- go small group shopping. You know, go, go around to those tables. Find a group that's for you and sign up for that group. Now, someone might say, Pastor Kurt, why do I have to sign up? The reason why I want you to sign up is because you're more likely to show up if you sign up, okay? Because how many know if you like, yeah, I'll try that one out, and then something happens during the week. You're just more likely to show up if you sign up. But also it's important to be on that list so that leader has your name. If there's a cancellation or they change locations or something like that or they need to communicate something, it's good to be on that leader's list. And I'll just say if you've never gone to a, a city group, you've never gone to a small group, it might seem a little awkward at first, right? My wife and I did a, did a city group um, last week, and we just opened it up to the church, whoever wanted to come. And to be honest, it, the first time it was a little awkward, you know? Because of Emily. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. First time it's a little awkward. The second time it's a little less awkward. And by the third time, you're just connecting with people. And um, Emily mentioned this, but we, uh, you know, she has friendships from, you know, Angie from uh, 20 years ago from, um, from city groups. This last week, 
uh, we went to a, a birthday party of one of a friend of ours who was turning uh, 40 years old. And this person we met 20 years ago in a small group. This person was in our lives, and we met them through a small group. That's really cool because sometimes in these in city groups, you'll meet people, not always, but you'll meet people that end up becoming lifelong friends and becoming staples in your life. And when we were going through some really hard things last year with, with you know, Emily getting a car accident and that kind of stuff, we had these people coming out of the woodwork really to support us and to be praying for us and that kind of stuff. So it's really, even though our, our paths have kind of gone different directions with these people, we're still connected to the, with them. And so um, people are empowered through authentic relationships. And I just want to give that small group plug for you today. Um, uh, actually, if you have that next picture, go ahead and put that up. So I was looking through some, some boxes. This is an encouraging word from 2001. I was part of a, a men's, we called them cell groups back then, but it was a small group, city group, same thing. This is an encouraging word that they gave me on my 21st birthday. And so this is almost 20 years ago. And these, these men that are still men in my life, still men that I am friends with from 20 years ago, um, uh, you know, gave me an encouraging word. And this is what I will say. You know, as a pastor, you can go to Bible college. I did some Bible college. I learned some theology. But how many know that doesn't make you a good pastor? Right? I'll tell you where I learned to pastor. I learned to pastor by leading small groups. I learned to pray publicly. You know, it's, it's not natural for everyone to pray publicly. You know, you pray to yourself. I learned how to pray publicly. I learned how to lead. I learned how to teach the Bible. Listen, the first time I taught the Bible in a small group, it was terrible. <laughs> I could give you the names of people. You can call them like, was he any good? No, he was terrible. You know, I didn't just walk up here being able to do this. I had lots and lots and lots of practice in small groups, okay? So I learned to teach. I was held accountable. I held other men accountable. We did men's groups. My wife did women's groups. We did co-ed groups together. We've done small groups for 20 years, basically. And I can say that that's part of the reason why I'm even standing up here before you today is because of what, I, what we got out of those. And so we found a place of belonging. We called the gold out of one another. And you need someone to call the gold out of you so that you can reach your potential. Okay, so that's how we empower people. Last thing, shining God's love. How do we do that? We shine God's love by building God's family. We build God's family, okay? Today, I wanna, for the remainder of the time, I want to talk to you about building God's family. The title of my message is Built to Build. You are built to build. Shining God's love should be a natural outflow of the person who has encountered God's love and has been empowered through authentic relationships and is in community. There's probably a few other factors there. But the person who's encountered, listen, you can't be in an encounter until you've had an encounter, right? I want to be an encounter for someone else. I, I want to be, be an encounter for someone else, but you can't be an encounter until you've been encountered yourself, okay? Um, and it, this should be a natural outflow for people who've encountered God's love and who are connected in community. Um, go ahead and put that, that, that picture up there. This is a picture of a fountain, and um, an, this is an illustration I like to use. The top tier, let's call that our love and our devotion to God, encountering God. Listen, when you have that first thing first, that first priority in your life, it is inevitable that that will overflow and spill into the next level, which is loving people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. 
The second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a reason why the first commandment's first, right? Because if you do the first commandment first, you'll have something to give someone else. You'll be able to love the people around you, okay? You'll have an overflow, right? Now listen, you can, you can probably get the cart before the horse. You could try to love people, but I don't think you'll, you'll have sustainability in loving people for long term if that's your first priority. If your first priority isn't loving God, what you'll probably end up doing is you'll love people that love you, right? You'll love people that love you. You'll bless people that bless you. But how many know to bless people that don't bless you and to love people who don't love you, you need to get your love from somewhere else, (laughs) right? We shouldn't, as much as I love you guys, I'm so honored that you're part of this church. I actually don't need you to need me. I need him to need me, and I need to be connected with him. And then I'll have something to give to you unconditionally. Okay, I can love you because I am loved. Like, you can't reject me because I'm accepted, right? If you know you're accepted, no one can ever reject you. You can never be rejected. I'm accepted in the beloved, and so are you. You can't be rejected. You might feel that way, but get your priority on Jesus. Come on, it's a good word right there. So that's a natural overflow, loving people around you. Is a natural overflow when you've received God's love. And after that, the natural outflow for being an authentic community, having those relationships, is that you will want to change the world around you. It will be an inevitability. Okay. Um, Let me give you a couple illustrations of this. Um, Have you guys ever, when I was a kid, I used to have an ant farm. And I liked ants. Ants are cool. They work hard, right? (laughs) And um, have you ever observed ants? Those little buggers just work. Like, they don't have a slave driver. No one has to tell them to work hard. They just, you know, they just do it. That's just what ants do. Like, it's in their nature to work. It's in their nature to do something. Listen, Christians, when you have your priorities straight with God, it's in your nature to love. It's in your nature to change the world around you. Um, If there isn't a natural overflow in your life, I would say this, if, if you don't want to bless the world, if you don't want to change the world, if you don't see things in the world that are wrong and want to fix them, something needs recalibrated somewhere in your life. Okay, we should want to touch. Now listen, obviously we need breaks, we need sabbaticals, we need rest days, that's all good. But there should be something in us that wants to change this world. Just like ants want to work and don't need motivation. Okay, uh, let me give you another example. Um, my dad has a husky. And this husky is actually from Texas, which is kind of a sad story to be a husky and be in a state that has you know, very little snow. So they get, this, they get this dog from Texas. It's never seen the snow before. And the first time they open the door and there's snow, the dog's kind of like, you know, what is this stuff? And then right away, it just realizes, like, I was made for this, and it like, jumps in the snow <laughs> and loves the snow. And now they can't get the dog inside. It, like, wants to sleep outside. It curls up in the snow. It wants to be in the snow. It loves the snow. Why? The dog's made to be in the snow, okay? Christians, we were made to love. We were made to transform this world. We were built to build God's kingdom, okay? If this isn't a natural overflow in your life, something needs recalibration in your life, okay? Um, Just to further drive this point home in a hundred different ways. Um, 
It's like your body. Your body does certain things by default. Like you don't have to tell your body to do certain things. It just does them, right? Um, if you, like your body tells you when you're hungry, right? Um, if you woke up in the morning and you weren't hungry, you know, I don't eat breakfast a lot. I usually, the first meal of the day for me a lot of times is lunch. So that's not very alarming to me. If I woke up, I'm like, I'm not hungry. That wouldn't be very alarming because I don't usually get hungry till lunch. But then if I got to lunch and I wasn't hungry, I'd be like, huh, interesting. It's lunchtime. I'm still not hungry, but maybe I'll eat dinner. And then if it got around to dinner time, and I'm like, I'm still not hungry, at that point I would start to worry. I'm like, what? Something's wrong here. My body's not craving food. Something has got to be out of whack, right? Okay, <clears throat> same thing with us Christians. If we don't want to love, if we don't want to reach out, something is out of whack with us. Our body tells us when we need to go to the bathroom, right? Right? Okay, I'm going to tell this story because it's, it's funny and it makes a point too. I was... <clears throat> I was uh, on a missions trip uh, in Brazil, I think it was 2014, <clears throat> and I preached a message, and then afterwards people were coming up for prayer for different things, and this lady, she wanted prayer because she hadn't, this is what she said through the translator, she had not had a bowel movement in a month. Now, I would be worried after, you know, much less than a month, like, <laughs> a couple days, I'd be like freaking out, you know. <laughs> She didn't have a bowel movement in a month. I'm like, that's not funny. Like, that is not a funny story at all. The funny part of the story is this, um, is that I'm standing there, and she's in front of me, and we're like, okay, we're going to pray for you. Now pretend, pretend I'm the lady, and you're going to pray for me. Like, okay, so I'm about to put my hand on her shoulder, and she does this. She, she turns around, and I'm like, where do you want me to put my hand? <clears throat> like... <laughs> know where to I don't know where to touch you she turned around it was so hilarious <laughs> okay notes where are we at <laughs> get me back okay on the next page okay the point is is that as Christians there should be a natural overflow. Some things just happen by default. We should want to change this place. We should want to change this world. Okay. So let me let me talk. A little, let's 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 put some Bible in here. Okay. So it's a so it's a legal meeting. Um, I want to highlight a builder in the Old Testament. His name is Nehemiah. Um, he's, he was a man that was commissioned to build the wall around Jerusalem. Okay. And I want to answer two questions, and then, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Um, Question number one, we're built to build. When do we build? When do we build? Okay. Um, give you quick context about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was part of um, the Jewish people who were um, pushed into exile. And um, at this point in the story, some of them had, God had brought some of them back to the promised land. Because of disobedience, God had um, caused the Jewish people to, to lose the, the promised land and been exiled. Some of them had come back to the promised land. Nehemiah was still serving in the king's uh, court, the Persian king's court, um, King uh, Artaxerxes, and um, he was a cupbearer to the king. Okay, so he's a, got a prominent position in the king's palace, which is a cupbearer. Cupbearer is a really important job in those days because the cupbearer would not only just give the king his wine, but they would, or whatever he was drinking, but they would also take a drink of it in front of the king so that the king would know that I'm not about to be poisoned, right? 
um, because then the cupbearer would die first, and you certainly wouldn't poison the king if you were the cupbearer, right? And so he had a very important role in front of the king. He was before the king every day. Um, and so this is where the story picks up. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Uh, <clears throat> the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the t- uh, 12th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I requested, uh, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence, that are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Look at Nehemiah's response, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, I fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Okay, so Nehemiah, like, he realizes that his ancestry, the place where he's from, they're in great distress, they're in great trouble, the walls are broken down, and they have enemies around them. This is a bad situation. And let me put it this way. Nehemiah sees injustice, trouble, distress, and it bothers him. It bothers him. Naturally, it bothers him that he sees his brothers in distress, and it bothers him. And I don't know about you, but if you've looked around, you might have noticed that there are some problems in this world, right? This world is not perfect. There are some problems up in here. Nehemiah was bothered. I will say it this way. Nehemiah had a divine discontentment, okay, divine discontentment. The Bible teaches us that we should be content, like content in what we have, and there's divine contentment is a good thing. But how many know there are times when God actually gives us a divine discontentment, where we see a problem, we're like, that's not okay. Someone's got to do something about that situation, right? Have you ever been there? Because we all have limited capacity, this church has limited capacity, individually we have limited capacity, we can't take on every single problem in the world. But there are certain problems through our lives God will put on our heart, will give us a divine discontentment for her, and that's the one we're like, that has to change. I'm the one to bring change to that situation. Nehemiah had a divine discontentment when he heard that the wall of Jerusalem had been broken down. He was bothered. Listen, some of us haven't been bothered in a while, right? It's, it's okay to be bothered sometimes. It's okay to be grieved. There are things that grieve God in the Bible. There are things that grieve Jesus. It's okay to see an injustice in the world and to be grieved by it. We shouldn't be so desensitized by like, oh, yeah, there's a problem there, death, you know, famine, um, poverty. We shouldn't just look at those things and be like, oh, no big deal, just keep going, right? Some of those things should bother us, okay? Ephesians 4.19 teaches us, that there, uh, Ephesians 4.19 talks about a group of people, it says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality and all these different things. We're supposed to be sensitive, okay? God wants us to be sensitive. He wants us to be tenderized to his spirit. He wants us to be malleable and, and to be um, uh, tenderized to his voice, okay? So we were built to build. When do we build? 
We build when we see a need and when God gives us that sense of divine discontentment in our hearts. That's the one we want to lock in on, okay? And each of us should have something in our lives. We're like, that's my mission. That's my goal. That's the thing that when I leave this world, that's the one thing I'm going to say has changed because of my influence over it, okay? So press into God and say, God, what do you want me to be discontent over? What is the situation in the world that you want me to be discontent over? My friend Elijah here, he serves the homeless in our city. He's locked in on that. He sees homeless people. He's like, not okay. These people need to be loved. Uh, Harmony up here, she works um, around the world with women who have been um, experiencing injustice and, and trafficking and that kind of stuff. She's like, not okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak into that. I'm going to do something about that. We have missionaries, the ones I talked about we support. They picked a region of the world where the gospel wasn't being preached and there's injustice and different things happening. And they're like, not okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to make something, I'm, I'm going to make change. I'm going to do something different, okay? Ask the Lord, what is my thing? What is the thing I'm supposed to lock in on, okay? Amen. So that's when we build. That's point number one. Number two, how do we build? Okay, so Nehemiah, he's in the king's court. He was divinely positioned in the king's court. And he gets, um, the king sees him, you know, having a bad day, asks him what's going on. He says, um, you know, the walls of the city where I'm from are broken down. And um, the king gives him permission to go back to his homeland and to fix the wall. Not only that, he sends military personnel with him and gives him provision. So he was divinely positioned to actually do something about what he had had um, in his heart to do. Okay, so he goes back to build the wall around Jerusalem. Okay, and this is the point that I kind of want to get at with this, is immediately when he went back, there was opposition to him rebuilding that wall. And I don't want to, like, sign you up. You know, you might have a honeymoon phase for uh, whatever God puts in your heart to do. But this is what I want to say. Plan on there being opposition. Right? Plan on there being opposition. I, it's not going to be easy. There was plenty of opposition for Nehemiah. Okay? Let me read, let me read a couple sections of Scripture to kind of illustrate this to you. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 2, it says this. When Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, so these are the people around Jerusalem who didn't like the Jews. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly um, incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back from life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Okay, when you make a stand to do something for God, I don't want to prophesy this over you, but plan on there being opposition. Why? Because there is an adversary who doesn't want you to make change, doesn't want you to make a difference in your world. Okay? There is an adversary. It's true. He exists. Okay? There is an adversary... Not only that, but there are other just challenges in life. When you try to do something new, when you're, trying to, when you're blazing a new trail, there's going to be an adversary, okay? Um, so when you set out to do something, there's opposition and there's intimidation. I had a woman a couple weeks ago up here. She's like, we've come to City Lights sporadically, but I really want to make a commitment to start coming you know, as often as we can and get my family here. And I said, I just want to forewarn you. <laughs> Sunday mornings, you're probably going to get in a fight with your kids. And there's going to be, you know, I think, I think people who, um, 
get to church every week, those are conquerors. People who do it with, like, kids are more than conquerors. <laughs> you got here on time with four kids? How, you know? Barely get myself here on time, you know? Those are more than conquerors. Listen, plan on something going wrong. Plan on something happening. Why? There's an adversary who doesn't want you here, doesn't want you being encouraged, doesn't want you being taught the Word of God, doesn't want you worshiping, right? We got small groups this week. Listen, the week your small group kicks off the first night, plan on something happening and still go, right? If you're going to get in a fight with your spouse, still show up anyway. You know, just, just show up, all right? Okay, so there will be opposition. Listen, when you're swimming upstream, there's opposition. Change, changing this world and transforming it for the glory of Jesus is swimming upstream. Okay, plan on there being opposition. I'll say this. If you, if you've, if you don't bump into a devil every once in a while, you might be going the wrong direction, right? Those of us who make a stand for God, we're bumping into things. There's friction, right? There's friction in this world. So when you're standing for Jesus, there will be friction. There will be opposition. Okay, uh, Nehemiah 4, 6 through 9, it says this. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Amorites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted uh, a guard day and night to meet this threat. Jump down to verse 16. He says this, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work uh, with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each uh, of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Okay, they had a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, baby, have you, I'm going to have you bring that back up here if you would. This is my beautiful daughter, y'all. Give her, give her a clap. Okay, you can go down. Thank you, dear. All right, I got, I got my sword here. I'm going to put it on. Give me just a second. Boom. Got the sword on my side. What about in my other hand? I've got a <laughs> vintage, this is very similar to what Nehemiah had. It's a Milwaukee drill, and this is what they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem with. Okay, they had a tool in one hand, they had a sword on their side as they rebuilt the wall. Listen, this is the posture, I don't know why I feel like, this, I don't know, I always hold the microphone in this hand. This is the posture of, of when we advance God's kingdom, when we do something for God. At times, we're putting our hands on something, we're building something for God, right? All the while, sometimes there's an enemy that tries to come behind us, and that there's times where we have to pull out the sword. <laughs> there are times you have to pull out the sword, turn around, fight a few battles, and after you fight those battles, you can put your sword away. Boom, and then you can pick up your tool again and keep working. Come on. 
We have to learn to do both of these. Sometimes I think people, they, get, they start working. They start doing something for God. Then there's opposition, and they're like, I'm not doing that again. They put their tool down, and they go home. Okay, listen, if you don't bring your sword with you, you're going to get discouraged when opposition comes your way. And there are times that we have to use our spiritual weapons, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality and powers and rulers in hard places. Our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to pulling down of strongholds, okay? As Christians, we have to learn that we have weapons in the spirit. And we need to use those weapons. And then we need to turn around when the battle's over and we need to build, okay? My wife and I had a crazy year last year. Um, we started off in January. My wife had uh, surgery, um, abdominal surgery, had about a 12-week recovery. Right about the time she was recovered, we got rear-ended on Highway 34 at a high rate of speed. She broke two vertebrae in her neck, had to wear a neck brace for 12 weeks. Okay. While she has a neck brace on, they do a scan for her whole body to make sure everything is kosher. They're like, oh, we found two nodules on your thyroid. Then we got a biopsy after she got the neck brace off. Found out she had thyroid cancer. Removed half of her thyroid. So she had another surgery. Broke her neck, two surgeries. Crazy year for us. Listen, I don't believe all that was a coincidence. I believe that we were building something amazing. And just like these people in Nehemiah, they heard that the wall had reached half of its height. And they become furious and came after us. And how many know to take out a leader, the leaders? You know, you... you you, to try to take out the head, you can take out the whole body. Okay? And so this is why we need your prayers, first of all. Pray for, for, pray for us. Pray for all of our directors. Pray for our leadership. Ben was also in that car and had some really terrible times that year. We all kind of struggled for a bit there. Um, but we have to build with one hand, fight with the other. This is the posture of moving God's kingdom forward. And this is the posture of you fulfilling the destiny in your life. You know... <clears throat> I think sometimes we do people a disservice by, like, come to Jesus, and all your problems are going to go away, and it's going to be this blissful, amazing thing. Listen, if you come to Jesus, I can't promise you all your problems are going to go away. I can't promise you that someone will be with you on the journey forever. But in some ways, I think when you come to Jesus, you're actually signing up for a battle. So you're signing up for a fight. You're signing up to fulfill your destiny, and there's, a, there's opposition to that. There's someone who does not want you to fulfill your destiny. And by the way, Christians, the devil doesn't, he doesn't have such a problem with your confession. Like, I confess Jesus, I'm a Christian. Because that doesn't necessarily change the world, your, your confession. What he is afraid of, the enemy's afraid of, is your service. He's afraid of your destiny fulfilled. He's afraid of you walking in what God has actually called you to do. Because that's what's going to change the world. So don't, don't just stop at being a confessing Christian. Move forward to being a Christian that's doing, that's building, that's accomplishing something, that's shining light in your world. Amen? Amen. Running out of room up here. All right. So how do we build? We serve, we give, time, money, energy, we encourage, we stay in community. We, we find that divine discontentment that God has for each of us, and we put our hands to that thing. But we do it with a tool in one hand, we do it with a weapon in the other. Amen? Okay, last thing I want to say. This is kind of the concluding remarks here. Nehemiah, um, he positioned people along the wall to rebuild the wall closest to where they lived. So you had families close to where they lived. That's the section of the wall they were in charge of. The question I want to ask is this. 
what if one of those guys were like, sees the other wall being built, they have this, their section that they're supposed to build. What if that guy was like, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to help rebuild the wall. I'm just going to sit back and chill. Well, listen, then there would be a hole in the wall. There would be a hole in the wall. This is, this is what I want to say to you individually. No matter from the greatest to the least of you, I want to say each of us has a section of the wall that we're assigned to build. Each of you has a section, that, a plan, purpose, and destiny from God to build a wall to advance God's kingdom, okay? If you don't build your section of the wall, there's going to be a hole in the wall. So as a, as a church, as a community, I want to say, do what God's put in front of you. Build your section of the wall. We need you to build that section. Um, you know, a lot of times when we talk about small groups, we talk about, like, all the great things that you can get out of community and small groups. Like, go for these benefits. But I want to kind of flip it and say this. Maybe it's not what you can get out of your small group or your community or your church. Maybe it's what your church can get out of you, right? How many were alive when um, John F. Kennedy was president? All right. I think this was, so this would have been 60, 63, 1963, something like that. JFK said this, ask not what your country can, uh, can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country, okay? So I would say this, ask not what your church can do for you, right? We need this differently, and right? Ask what you can do for your church, right? Come on. Ask how you can build the wall. Ask how you can move the vision forward, okay? And I'll close with this. Um, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. This is one of the guys who, who um, was giving opposition to the building. He said this, what are they building even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Okay, so they're mocking, they're ridiculing. Even if a little fox goes up there, it's going to break down that wall. Go ahead and put up that next picture. Okay, this is a modern-day picture of a section of the wall that Nehemiah built that's actually still standing to this day. They rebuilt this wall around Jerusalem in 52 days, and many of these sections, some of them are buried because they built on top of it. Many of these sections are still standing to this day. And it was a rush job. But listen, when God has put a vision in front of you, he's put something in front of you to do. It might seem like a rush job, but when he does something, he's going to make it last. He's going to make it have an eternal impact. And so I'll, I'll kind of conclude with this thought. What God asks us to build today echoes in e into eternity. The section of the wall that you're supposed to build, what he asks you to do today and in this life will echo into eternity. It will make an eternal impact. And it might seem insignificant to you, but I can assure you we need you to build your section of the wall. Amen? Okay. We are built to build Christians, all right? Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m., at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.